Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. In our series, we're exposing areas of our life that can come under oppression, and when we come under oppression, that, ex- that hinders us from experiencing God's plan and purpose for our lives. Uh, oppression occurs when someone or something exercises authority over another person in a needlessly controlling manner. So oppression makes you feel like this. You're being ruled over. Someone or something has power over you in an area of your life. Our spiritual adversary will use oppression against us, and when he does so, he will do so relentlessly. We come under oppression not by accident. Oppression just doesn't jump on us one day. We actually give our adversary the opportunity to oppress us. You can say, well, how do we give the, op- the adversary an opportunity to oppress us? One example we, we used was last week is unforgiveness. Here's the example. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Our ability, then, to receive forgiveness hinges on our willingness to grant forgiveness. So if we refuse to give forgiveness, we are disobeying the words of Jesus. And when we disobey his words, that puts us in that disobedient place, and we can open ourselves to oppression. What happens when we allow uh, uh, unforgiveness to continue in our lives? Well, Satan will oppress it until we become bitter. And bitterness, when we allow bitterness to come into our lives, it will continue to fester. Satan will continue to oppress until bitterness destroys every meaningful relationship in your life. Listen to what Peter writes about our adversary. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant. This is uh, an admonition to us as believers. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So Peter, again, admonishes us to remain vigilant and alert in regards to our adversary. What is he doing? He's looking for an opportunity to devour. And if we give that opportunity, he will do that. So we face a real spiritual adversary whose desire is to devour us, but we have a Savior who has redeemed us. We have a Savior who loves us. We have a Savior who has redeemed us in order to fulfill God's plan for our lives. Look what Jesus said in John 10.10. I have come that they may have what? Life and that they may have it more abundantly. That is God's promise, God's plan for your life. If you're experiencing oppression, this is what's happening. Satan is stealing from you. And quite frankly, we're allowing him to steal. He's taking life from you. Jesus came to give you life, life abundantly. But if you're being oppressed, the enemy is stealing from you. He's robbing from you. He is using something to hold you down. He's using that to rule over you. And that is not God's plan for your life in Christ Jesus. Jesus makes this declaration, John 8, 36. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So are you free or are you oppressed? So in this series, we want to identify those areas of our lives that can come under oppression. We don't just want to identify them. We want to break the power of oppression because, again, God's plan is to what? To give us life and life abundantly. So we want to identify those areas of oppression and break the power of oppression so that we experience true freedom. So today I want to talk to you about this, breaking the power of oppressing sexual immorality. So listen to this. Look what Paul writes 
about sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So what is sexual immorality? And sexual immorality can simply be defined this way. All sexual activity that falls outside the boundaries of what God defines as permissible in his word. So all sexual activity that falls outside the boundaries of what God defines as permissible sexual activity. So we live in a culture that has a very broad understanding of what is acceptable in this area. Very broad understanding. But the Bible is very narrow. Very narrow in what it explains and what it portrays as acceptable sexual behavior. Genesis says this in chapter 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So God created a man and a woman to reproduce and fill the earth. A natural-born man cannot produce a child with another natural-born man. Likewise, a natural-born female cannot produce a child with another natural-born female. Now that alone should just tell us something. This is God's plan. He made us male and female. He made us with parts that can make other people. So in order to multiply and fill the earth, you have to have a male and a female. And what does God do to, to ensure this happens? Well, he gives us a sex drive. So if a, if a husband and a, and a wife are married, if they want to have a successful, long-lasting relationship and where they can have greater intimacy, um, a healthy sexual relationship is going to be part of that. Uh, that marriage is going to be successful. That is not all of it, but it is a part of it. So let's get to this part here. The only sexual activity that God deems as acceptable is between one natural man and one natural woman who are married. All other sexual activity outside of those parameters is sexual immorality. That's a very narrow perspective, but that is the counsel of God's word. So it's a very black and white subject. There are no gray areas, but what we do is we tend to try to make these gray areas. Give you an example. Here's one that is very popular. I'm sure you all have heard this. We're married in the eyes of God. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Absolutely. I don't know who in the world came up with this idea, but yes, you do. You need a signed legal document. So if you haven't signed a marriage license, you are committing sexual immorality. Marriage, by the way, is a covenant. The word covenant means contract. It is a contract. It is a contract between a man and a woman. So marriage is a covenant. It's a contract. In the Bible, you'll read about this often. The groom and his family come into contract with the bride and her family. There are terms, there is an agreement, there is a settlement, it is a document, it is a covenant. To say that there is no example of that in the Bible is just absurd. The Bible is full of covenant contracts, and marriage is one. So if you aren't legally married, but you're having sex, you're committing sexual immorality, period. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 10. 
Verse 6, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his wife and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So when people claim they're married in the eyes of God, and that's the only way that they haven't signed anything. They aren't legally married. We're married in the eyes of God. The percentage of those marriages lasting till death does them apart is rare. Very rare. When the marriage becomes difficult, this is what takes place. This is why people are so inclined to do it. Because marriage is difficult. If anyone tells you that marriage isn't difficult, they're lying to you. And you will have difficulty. But what happens is, if you aren't legally married, it's easy to cut and run. If you haven't made that legal commitment, and that's what takes place. That's why often people who are just married in the eyes of God, they aren't successful, not long term. Because of this, it's so easy to leave the marriage. It's so easy to vacate. You don't have any legal uh, documents. You, don't have, you can just cut and run. You can go live with someone else if you want to. So they aren't legally married. It's easy to separate. See, marriage is not supposed to be convenient. If you think marriage is convenient, don't get married. It's not supposed to be married. If, you know, when you put two people together as one, it's not convenient. It's not easy. Marriage is a commitment. Remember these words, for richer or poorer. <laughs> in sickness and in health, for better or worse. When a couple gets married, they make a contract. It's a covenant. It's a signed document. It's a commitment. So if a man says this, I love you, but I, because it's usually the man, I love you, but I'm not willing to sign a document. Ladies, that man is not committed to you. He is not going to commit himself to you. I don't care how sweet he is, how nice he's, he's not going to commit to you 100%. So if a man or a woman won't sign a covenant, they aren't willing to make that full commitment. So whenever the time comes, difficult, and it will become difficult, because of that, they will cut and run. Another gray area that isn't a gray area is pornography. Pornography is sexual morality, period. Yeah, but my spouse is okay with it. They're okay with me viewing pornography, so if my spouse is okay with it, then it's not sexual morality. Wrong. Completely wrong. Listen, who defines what is permissible sexual behavior? Us or God? So it's not a gray area. It's not, it's not okay if we, if we accept it or we make it permissible, it's still sexual immorality. Honey, let's introduce some pornography into our marriage and spice it up a little bit. That had to be a man, right? It has to be. And whoever thought that was a good idea is completely loony. Because what does that do? That just opens yourself up, both of you, for sexual oppression. So it doesn't matter what a married couple condones, God created sex in certain parameters, not man, not a couple. So if a husband and wife want to allow other partners into their marriage, if they want to view pornography together and call it acceptable, it's still sexual immorality in God's eyes, and it opens the door for oppression. It doesn't matter if your husband is okay with an open marriage or your wife is okay with an open marriage. It's still sexual immorality. It doesn't matter if your wife or your husband agree to swap couples. I know this is getting to be gross, but you would be surprised how much this happens in the church world. It doesn't matter what you agree upon as a husband and wife. It has to fit in the parameter of God's word, period. 
It doesn't matter if your husband or your wife allows pornography into your relationship. It's still sexual immorality, and when you commit sexual immorality, it opens the door wide open for oppression. Listen to what Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. You have heard it was said to those of old, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if you're a married couple, you can look at each other all you want. All you want. But if you're fantasizing or you're sexually active in any capacity with anyone else but your spouse whom you're married to, you're violating the words of Jesus and you're committing sexual immorality, period. The only sexual activity God condones is between a natural man, a natural woman who are married. If a married couple wants to do this, if they want to dress up like Tarzan and Jane and chase each other around the bedroom, that is fine, but you can't have anybody else chasing. Some people don't consider certain sexual activity as sexual immorality. This is amazing. This is big in the Christian world. I, I have to be a little more descriptive. Hang with me. If someone says this, it's not sex because our genitals didn't come into contact with each other. Their motives are not pure. It is sex. If, if you are able to arouse or cause climax, it's sex. The motives aren't pure. They're creating a gray area that is very black and white. So the only sexual activity that God blesses, that God honors, that God condones between one natural man, one natural woman who are married. So if we step outside this boundary, we're inviting oppression into our lives. Sexual morality is just opening the door, and it's welcoming oppression into our lives. Oppressing, uh, oppressing sexual immorality will manifest all sorts of ways. And what happens is you'll find all kinds of be destructive behaviors, uh, dysfunctions, compulsions. Uh, sexual morality will manifest in insecurity, uh, desires, thoughts, fantasies, frustrations, anger, hostility. And you'll never, ever, if you're committing sexual morality, the hole that it leaves in your inner being will never be filled. You can get all the sex you want, or you can participate in all the sexual activity that you want, and it will never, ever fill that void. Because God only blesses that void in one capacity, between one natural man, one natural woman, and a marriage relationship. Sexual morality is one of the most oppressive sins because of the impact that it has on the entire being. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says this, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his body, his own body. Sexual morality will open the door for oppression. It will manifest in every area of your life, body, soul, spirit, not just your desires. It will manifest in every area. So in most situations where there's been sexual deviant behavior or a sexual addiction or a sexual compulsion or sexual abuse, somewhere in that person's life, there's sexual immorality, almost always. So sexual immorality, when oppressed, can become deviant, it can become abusive, it can, can become manipulative, and it can become habitual. Sexual immorality, when oppressed, can become generational. Children start behaving like their parents and their grandparents. So it leads to this, a succession of broken marriages, a succession of broken sexual activity. 
However, on the flip side, there's some good news. And this is why you got to guard your young people. This is why you got to guard your children. If a child grows up in an environment where mom and dad loves each other, man, you've already, you've already set a great tone for them. And it's modeled before those children. You've already put them on a good path. But if you've modeled a, set, a healthy marriage, if you've shielded them from pornography, all the obscenities that is possible, and if they choose to remain sexually pure until they're married, their problem with sexual immorality goes down. It, it is a statistic that is easy to check. Rarely have I come across someone who has never been sexually immoral. They've never participated in any, you know, any sexual activity before marriage. Rarely do you run across people who have remained pure. And they become married or they become adults and they have a sexual issue. There's always usually something in the past. It's not the rule, but it is the norm. So that's why your children, your grandchildren, you protect them. I know we live in a sin-saturated world, but you've got to be determined and committed to keep them pure. You say, well, you know, I can do everything I do, but I can't, you know what? You do everything you can do. So listen, I'm not saying a person who has grown up sexually pure won't be tempted and don't have desires. I'm just saying it usually doesn't manifest into sexual immorality. And oppression is very rare in those cases. And again, that's why we have to be diligent, church. I just, can't, I just want to admonish you, please, to be diligent in that area. And one reason why sexual morality is so easily oppressed by our adversary is the secrecy factor. When it comes to sexual morality, there is a secrecy factor that is so powerful, and Satan will exploit it. When sexual morality has been experienced, or if a person has been the victim of sexual deviant behavior, it's easy to pretend this, it never happened. And that opens the door for Satan to exploit, and you know this, he will exploit every opportunity we give him. And because of the intimate nature of sexual activity, especially if you've been violated, and that's your space that's been violated, there is a tendency to hide and say, just pretend it didn't happen. And again, Satan does this. He is nasty. He is mean. He comes to steal, kill, destroy. He comes to devour. He doesn't play by any rules. He's not fair. He will oppress. He will hold you down. He will run over you with a steamroller. He will exploit it. When something is hidden or the threat of exposure is there, that secrecy is the breeding ground for oppressive activity, period. And that is just not in the area of sexuality. That is in every area of your life. The more you have secrecy in your life, the more you have things that are just held closely to you, the more opportunity that gives the enemy to exploit. So how do we break the power of oppression, oppressing sexual morality? I'm going to give you four steps. And if, if the sexual morality is, is more difficult, there are probably more required steps. But this gets you going in a good direction. The first step of breaking the power of oppression, oppressing sexual morality is humility. Even if you've been a victim, humility. Humility does what? It opens the door for God's grace. If you're going to heal, you need the grace of God. It is a must. James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So it doesn't matter, again, if you were the victim of sexual abuse or you made poor choices. In the area of sexual activity, grace is a requirement. You need humility. Grace and humility are tied together. Humility will play a role in your, head, in your, your life, in your freedom, in your victory in this area. Oppression, oppression can make you feel this way, embarrassed. It can make you feel embarrassed or you feel guilty, 
there's a lot of things it can do when you're, when you're involved in sexual morality. We'll feel like, well, if I'm, I'm just, I'm going to hide this. I want to keep it close. And what that does is it starts to begin to build a pride, a pride barrier. So we'll try to keep the situation to ourselves. Or this, I, I messed up. I was sexually immoral. I'm dealing with these issues, but I can take care of them. Probably not by yourself. Probably not by yourself. But that's our tendency, right? We want to fix it ourselves. We want to fix ourselves in Jesus' name. Pride will keep you stuck. It will keep you stuck. And if we are too proud to allow someone to help us, Satan will exploit that motivation, that desire of secrecy. Human beings have this built-in pride in their flesh. And we have this tendency to help ourselves outside of what God makes clear in his word. And what we want to do is we want to do it our way. We want to do our thing. God, no, I'm going to do things my way. You just need to bless me. And they can be the, it can even be the right things to do, but it's the wrong motivation. See, it's not a humble motivation. It's a prideful motivation. It's a pride that says this, that I can do it. God will bless me. No, listen, you have to be in total reliance to God. Philippians says this in chapter 2, describing who Jesus is. Just think about the nature of who Christ is. I mean, he is God in the flesh. Let this mind be in you, you and I as believers, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in likeness of men. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. See, Jesus personifies humility. If you want a good example of what humility is, you look at the life of Christ. The Holy Spirit does what? When he dwells in us, he lives in us, he empowers us. He empowers us to be more like Jesus. If we get rid of our pride, if we'll humble ourselves, we become more like Christ. It opens the door for all spiritual virtues. But pride will resist. Pride will resist grace. It will resist the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, humility is a key virtue for all believers. Humility says this, I can't do it my way. God, I have to do it your way. No longer can I do it my way. My way is not working. Your way is the only way. Will you help me? Will you heal me? Will you free me? Whatever is necessary, God, I'll do it. Whatever it takes, and that's the beginning of humility. The more you can just let it go and say, God, I'm completely at your mercy here. Help me. Do you know what God finally does? How, I've been waiting for you for a long time to say that and do that. I mean, sometimes we do this, God, help me, help me, but we really don't mean it yet. But you'll know, because when you, when you have something that is tearing you apart, when you have something that is destroying you, and you finally really let it go, and you let God help you, that's the opportunity he's always looking for. And that's humility. That's, that's humility. Humility unlocks healing, growth, and freedom. If you want to experience freedom, healing, growth, restoration, humility is the key. Number two is transparency or honesty. Honesty in tandem with humility will result in transparency. So honesty in tandem with humility will result in transparency. The combination of those two is freeing. It is freeing. Our adversary banks on his ability to use fear against us. Fear will allow oppression to entrench itself in our lives and keep you hostage. Fear will inspire these thoughts. What will people think if they find out? What will my parents say if they know? What's going to be the outcome when this comes to light? 
What are my friends going to think? Who's going to leave me? Who's going to forsake me? What am I going to lose? These are all statements of fear. This is fear speaking. See, we want something to remain hidden. That's, again, that's the fear of exposure makes us very, very vulnerable. And again, Satan will exploit that and he will oppress it. He'll lie, he'll spin such a tale that will cause so much fear and anxiety in your life. Because you're, you're trying to use all this energy to keep it hidden, to keep it under the covers. You're trying to do everything that it won't see the light of day. And what he does is he keeps just nagging, he keeps trying to pull it back. And he'll say, you know, I'm going to expose it. And when I expose it, this is what's going to happen. And we believe it. It's fear. Honesty is the, the way to, to healing. Say, honesty with, with all sexual morality is the path, church. Honesty represents just who we are as we are. No games, no gimmicks, no facades. Honesty has no secrets. It tells no lies. It represents us as we are. Honesty prevents us from hiding in fear where we can be exploited. So when I say honesty and I say transparency, that doesn't mean we go out and air our dirty laundry out in front of everyone. That is, that's not wise. I've seen people do that. It's not wise. The world will tear you up. Satan will take your good intentions because you didn't use wisdom and you probably didn't look for counsel, and he will just wipe the floor with you. But there is power in confession, and confession is a form of transparency. It's a form of, of honesty. James 5, 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another, look, that you may be healed. But that's not what we want to do. No, I'm going to hold it in. I'm going to get through this in Jesus' name. But we're bypassing some very important pr principles here. Confess your sins, your trespasses, your, heal, I mean, your hurt, and you name it to one another. If it has power over you, you can plug it in right here. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So what do we see in that picture? We see honesty. We see humility. We see transparency. We see accountability. We see trust. We see hope. We see faith. It's difficult for a person to be held hostage to sin or oppression when they're humble and honest. It's difficult. It's the first and most needed step. Humility and honesty will bring freeing grace into your life. Humility and honesty welcomes the transforming power of the Holy Spirit into your life. Pride and fear, what does it do? It invites oppression. If we humble ourselves, confess our sins, confess who we are, confess where we've been, confess what we've done, in honesty, in full honesty, to someone we can trust, someone we can love, this happens. Fear will say this, don't do that, don't do that. But when we go through this and we actually follow through on that format, look what happens. What does God do in response? When we come to someone and we're just honest. 1 John 1, 9. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's freedom, church. To have nothing hanging over you, to have nothing holding you down, to have nothing oppressing you, to have no fear that is trying to, to keep things covered, to not put on some religious facade. That's freedom. That is victory. Why would we want to live any other way? God is faithful and just. If we come to him on his terms, and that is so important, you've got to be so careful. Honest with God, honest with yourself. Because this is what happens. We tend to come with God. We think that he doesn't know. We've got something we're, we're, we're dealing with. The real issue is right here. Let's say it's this. We've got all these other issues that are manifest, but this is the real issue. And we say this, uh, God, 
I'm coming to you with full honesty and transparency. And God knows what's in your pocket, buddy, because that's what we need to deal with. So you can't come to God on your terms. It has to be his, again, humility is the first step. And then full transparency with God, full honesty with God. And when that happens, you can begin to experience freedom and grace. The next step we need to take in breaking the power of oppressing sexual morality is trust. In fact, if you don't establish the first two, you won't get to this one. Humility and honesty. So you'll never have trust without those two. It's hard to trust if you haven't established humility and honesty. So if you're being oppressed and the desire to be free, trust must be a factor. It must factor into that equation. So trust is bold. Trust is confident. Trust is secure. Jesus said this. He would set us free, and we would be free indeed. Do we trust that? Do we really trust what he says? I mean, I agree with what he says to a point in my situation. See, that's not full trust. Uh, No, I believe Jesus can set people free, and free indeed for them, but not me. Do we really trust what Jesus says? Do Do we trust that he will do what he said he will do? See, if you've humbled yourself, if you're honest, you'll find trust is easier to establish. It's not easy, but it is easier. So we can bank on this promise. If we, if we approach God, his promises with trust, with humility, with honesty, you will find freedom. The path for freedom, the doors will be open. Now, there's another step that allows you to walk through those doors, but the doors will be open. If you have humility, if you have honesty, if you have trust, the doors that are, whatever's holding you back, they will be open. Jesus is going to set you free, but you've got to walk in that freedom. We'll talk about the next step. But oppression, especially in the area of sexual morality, is difficult to break because in many cases, we've broken trust or we've had the trust broken towards us. Trust has been broken in our lives or we've broken trust. And that's why humility and honesty are the first steps. See, we won't find true freedom unless we establish trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. That's so hard to do because that's exactly what we want to do when we get in a situation. Trust in the Lord with all your mind. Just not ready to lean on you completely, God. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Trust in God. Trust in his plan for your life. Trust in his word. Trust in his promises. Trust places us in a humble position. Trusting God can be hard because sometimes, especially we've been run over this area where we've experienced sexual abuse and we have an issue in this area, we can feel like, God, you were the problem in the first place. You're the one that allowed me to be ran over. Why would I trust you? God understands. He can sympathize. Jesus can sympathize with us. Why? Because he was in the flesh. I'm not saying it's right, but God is like, I'm just done with you. No, that's not it. And that's what the enemy will tell you. I don't trust God. And the devil will speak to you. See, and that's why you'll never be free. I mean, he'll just, he will just pile it on you. He's a liar. He's a thief. Allowing that thought, that mindset only makes oppression more isolating. Trust shows a path towards freedom. Trust provides light, provides light at the end of the tunnel. Trust manifests in confidence. Trust says this. Trust allows you to read a verse like this, and you can really own it. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans that I have you. God has a plan for you, and oppression is not it. Stuck is not it declares the Lord, plans for your welfare, your welfare, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That is his plan and his purpose for your life. Oppression will say this, no, 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 that is a fairy tale. 
That's for other people, not you, not me, not my situation. That's God's plan for our lives, church, all of us. If you are a believer, trust in God, trust in his power, trust in his love. Trust is so key. It's so necessary to experience freedom. It's so necessary to experience freedom from oppression, including sexual immorality. The next step we need to take in breaking the power of oppressing sexual immorality is purity. You can have all the other three, but if you refuse to walk in purity, it doesn't matter. The doors are open on the other three. Once you've established humility, honesty, and trust, the doors to your cell are open. But it'll take a pure heart to walk in freedom. God's given us all a free will. And if, if we're truly desiring purity, we'll experience purity. But if you want to satisfy your sexual desires or your, your fleshly desires more than you want to be pure, that one's going to win out. So your desire to be pure has to be greater than anything. And sometimes it takes a long time for us to get to that place. And we've got to go down a lot of dangerous places, a lot of, a lot of back roads, a lot of bumpy roads. But until you get to that place where you're like, you know what, this isn't so fun after all. And that's when God says, all right. We need to commit ourselves to be impure. Look what Job 31.1 says. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. So men, women, young, young ladies, young men, we must make a covenant with God and a covenant with ourselves. So important. We must hold ourselves accountable. And if that doesn't work, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Be honest. Be accountable to another person. Trust is an issue. I understand it may be hard for you. It may be hard for us to be accountable to another person. But if you truly desire to be pure, you'll make the necessary commitment to be pure. I've heard people say this. Uh, I myself have even said this. Um, I won't do that again. I won't do that again, but I'd do it again. Or, no, this time I'm serious. I'm not going to do it again. I won't do it again, but I'd do it again. If that's the track record, then you have to come to this point and be honest. It's not working. So what do you have to do? You have to have some accountability in your life then. What, whatever it is, the desire is greater than your desire to be pure. And that's what you just have to be honest with. Some people won't even cross that road. No, 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 especially at church. Because we just think we can just pray it away, lay hands on it. See, it comes down to something in a part of your life that you're unwilling to break. It doesn't matter how many times we lay hands on you. It doesn't matter how fervently we pray. So my point is this. There has to be a desire to be pure. So your, greater, your desire to be pure must be greater than your fear of failure or shame. A commitment to purity involves self-control. Therefore, building your life spiritually is so necessary and key. So I've seen people do this. They lay hands on me, pray, and uh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, but they refuse to build their relationship with God at the same time. That is going to be a mess. It's never going to work that way. Because this is what fuels your relationship with God, His Word, is what fuels that desire for purity. So you have to have this, this desire to be back into God's Word, back into close relationship with Him. And that will feed your desire to be pure. So you can put all the restrictions you want upon yourself. But unless you are pursuing God, if you're, unless you're pursuing his, his presence, His purity in your life, it's going to be difficult to find purity. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, is it not? Then it's something that has to be developed. We can't lay hands on you again to give you self-control. If you want to exercise greater control in an area, then grow closer to God. So if you try to commit to purity without committing yourselves to growing closer to God, the source of purity, we will fail. 
Matthew 5, 8 says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Purity is such a key. Purity is a commitment that leads down a path towards freedom. It breaks the power of oppressing sexual immorality. So what does that look like? Well, we have to do this. What are our commitments to purity? What does that even look like? Well, what do you watch on TV? But if you're dealing with this, you need to go and understand what our influence is. What are you eating? If I'm eating junk, if I'm, if I'm taking it into my, guess what? I shouldn't be surprised what manifests in my life. So what are we watching? What, what, are our, what, are we, what are we viewing? What are you allowing yourself to watch on the internet? What are you allowed to come through your devices? Who do you allow yourself to interact with? See, being around another person that puts you in a compromising position, it's probably not good to be in that person's presence. Well, I work with them. What's more important, your paycheck? Because this is a justification. Well, I got to pay the bills. Well, what's going to happen when you lose your family? doesn't matter what you're paying then because you've lost the greatest gift of all. I got to have that job, even though that, that girl is there. What is more important? Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right eye, or if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Are you willing to give somebody total access? Total access. Do you, do you have someone you're accountable to that can have total access to your devices, to your computer? I'm just saying this. If we're not willing to do that, that's probably a, a red flag. If you're unwilling to, are you willing to turn off your computer? Listen, are you willing to do this? Get rid of the smartphone, get a dumb phone. Well, I got to have it for my job. You know what? There are, where there's a will, there's a way. What's your desire? What is greater? Because, you know, we'll use this as an excuse. If this is the problem, then you can make all the excuses that you want. But in today's world, today's technology, there are ways to get around this. We can make excuses. All we're doing is saying we don't want to be pure. You can have all the necessary parameters. You can have all the accountability that you want. But if you do not want to abide by it, you will find your way. You will find ways to slip around it. You know, I had this device. I had this filter. I had this accountability partner. I had this if, if your heart isn't pure, you'll find ways to slip around it. So it comes back to this. Are you committed to purity? The doors can be open for you, but if you refuse to walk through those doors, you're going to be back to where you were. So your desire to be free must be greater than your desire to fulfill your desires of your flesh. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.